After 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. We had a slight technical problem toward the beginning of the show. A big thank you to our chief engineer, ZK, for coming through. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Ahaba, ahaba, be shah. 
Do 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 do
מלכוס חום, מלכוס כל הילומים, וממשל תחו בכל דוי ודוי. מלכוס חום, מלכוס חום, מלכוס כל הילומים, וממשל תחו בכל דוי ודוי. מלכוס חום, מלכוס חום, מלכוס כל הילומים, וממשל תחו בכל דוי ודוי. מלכוס חום, מלכוס חום, מלכוס כל הילומים, וממשל תחו בכל דוי It's Ohad, Malchusha, of course, here at JM in the AM. What a song. Uh, before that, the uh, Hakola Tova done by uh, David Gabe. You heard Malchusha done by uh, the Diaspora Yeshiva Band from the Diaspora Collection. Yaakov Shweki's Inshallah, Menucha Vesimcha done by Ari Goldwag. You heard Marake, that was Simcha Liner, and of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday on this May 4th. Oh, may the 4th be with you. <laughs> How did I remember that this year? Uh, 19th day in the month of ER, the year 5778. Today is day number 34 in the counting of the Omer, 34. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Erev Shabbos Parsha's MR outside of Israel with candlelighting time here in New York at 735. 
70 degrees, isolated thunderstorms and a high of 84. Thunderstorms early tonight, low 60. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy, a high temperature, 75 degrees. Yerushalayim is at 86. We're at 70 here in New York City as we say good morning at uh, JM in the AM. Had an amazing log bomber yesterday. I have to thank Abels and Hyman, Seth Levitt, his staff. They sponsored our whole day of broadcasting. Had a lot of fun. Lots of amazing music. A lot of people tuned in from around the world. Uh, if you're looking for delicious, uh, delicious meat, especially those incredible hot dogs, go to Abels and Hyman. Support them if for no other reasons than they are delicious and they're an amazing sponsor of ours here at uh, the Nahum Siegel Network. I alluded to this early in the show. Uh, big thank you to ZK. Our chief engineer, ZK, who um, without him, uh, we would still be scrambling to get on the air and probably would be like that till at least Monday morning. Uh, but because of his incredible knowledge and troubleshooting and, and ability to wake up uh, at any point during the 24-hour day and night period, um, he uh, was able to get us back on within minutes. So thank you, ZK. We don't take you for granted. I can tell you that much. JM and the AM, good morning, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget, we have a lot of special broadcasts, including this morning, Malcolm Honeline, one hour from now, on the topic of Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, and his presentation this week about Iran. That's coming up at 7.40 Eastern time this morning. Uh, on Monday, speaking of Malcolm, he'll be at Bar Ilan delivering that historic lecture. We will be covering it starting at 11.30 a.m. Eastern time right here at the Nahum Siegel Network, so make sure to be tuned into that. Wednesday next week, as I've been telling you, along with our friends from One Tabletop and Lilac and Cream and Norman's Dairy, we broadcast the middle part of Wednesday, live lunch Wednesday, from Wesley Kosher up in Rockland County. So we have, a, we have some really busy, incredible days ahead here at the Nahum Siegel Network. So uh, hop aboard and uh, get ready to uh, enjoy. I want to thank the great Mr. Milton Feldman, one of the best, one of the best people out there, wonderful supporter of ours for so many years, somebody who takes great pride in what we do here at the Nahum Siegel Network. He is dedicating this morning's broadcast to the memory of his uh, dear wife, Marlene, who we remember fondly. And um, I want to thank uh, Milt for his donation of 10 times high to the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting. And we certainly remember Marlene on this Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, her yard site coming up uh, during this week. And um, again, we thank Mr. Milton Feldman from all of us here at JM in the AM. Um, so there you have it, a, uh, a start to a Friday and uh, back to our regular format, which is amazing and incredible. <laughs> yeah, that's how I refer to it. I refer to it as amazing and incredible that we are in a regular format. Uh, this one comes from Avremel. Thanks for tuning in. Friday morning broadcast, Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM.
ידי דוד, משיח צדקך. על ידי דוד, משיח צדקך. Yeah. 
What a song, huh? L'chad Dodi from Derech Achim. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSingle.com on the NachumSingle Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Golly, it's in the background. You heard Mim Komcha from Sandy Shmueli. Milech Cohen's L'Chvod Shabbat. Levi Cohen had Matana. Avremo had Achim Banefesh here at JMNAM. Erev, Shabbos, Parshas, MR outside of Israel. Candle lighting 735 in New York. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday next. Poker Toe from JMNAM. Galitzal, Shah Stein, Kan Omri Lande, Imashakorechav. לאחר הנאום האנטישמי, יושב ראש הרשות הפלסטינית אבו מאזן מתנצל על נאומו האנטישמי ואומר, השואה היא הפשע הנורא בהיסטוריה. כתבנו ג'קי חוגי. בהודעה שפרסמה לשכתו הבוקר, גינה ראש הרשות כל גילוי של אנטישמיות וכינה את השואה הפשע המתועב בהיסטוריה. אם מישהו נפגע מדבריי, במיוחד יהודים, אני מתנצל בפניו. בכינוס המועצה הלאומית הפלסטינית שננעל אמש ברמאללה, הוכרז על הנערה עאיד תמימי, חברה של כבוד במועצה. צעדת חמאס בגבול עזה החלה בשעה האחרונה, וכבר נרשמים עימותים בין כוחות צה"ל לפלסטינים. כתבנו הצבאי צחי דבוש. מאות עזתים כבר פרוסים לאורך הגבול, כשהם מצוידים בעפיפונים רבים שהפכו לנשק החדש מול ישראל. על פי דיווחים פלסטינים, עימותים נרשמים במספר מוקדים, וכוללים ירי חי וירי אמצעים לפיזור הפגנות נגד מתפרים, מהם נפצעו ככל הנראה מספר פלסטינים. בצה"ל עדיין בוחנים כיצד להתמודד עם טרור העפיפונים. ועדת משפטנים מיוחדת שהקימה הממשלה פרסמה הבוקר דוח הממליץ להסדיר שבעת אלפים בתים הנמצאים בסכנת הריסה ברחבי יהודה ושומרון. בדוח פורסמו שורת מסקנות משפטיות באמצעותן ניתן יהיה לבצע את ההסתרה. שרת המשפטים איילת שקד בירכה על הדוח. דוח זמבאוג מיישם למעשה דוח אדמונד לוי ונותן כלים משפטיים שעומדים בדין הבינלאומי להסדרת ההתיישבות ביו"ש. אני בטוחה שהממשלה תיקח את הדוח ותיישם אותו. בית המשפט פסל שתי שאלות נוספות במבחן לשכת עורכי הדין האחרון. כתבתנו לענייני משפט, מוריה אסרף. לאחר פרסום התפלגות ישובות הנבחנים בגלי צה"ל, בית המשפט המחוזי בירושלים הורה על פסילתן של שתי שאלות במבחן לשכת עורכי הדין האחרון, וכן בשאלה אחרת החליט שיש לקבל תשובה נוספת כנכונה. מדובר בהישג קטן עבור המתמחים שדרשו את פסילתן של 20 שאלות. את המבחן שנערך בחודש דצמבר האחרון עברו רק שליש מהנבחנים. המשטרה פשטה אתמול על שני מכוני עיסוי ברמת גן ששימשו למתן שירותי מין. במהלך הפשיטה עוכבו לחקירה שש נשים, לקוחות וחשוד בהפעלת אחד המקומות. כתבתנו פי גוטמן מוסרת כי החקירה בעניינם נמשכת. לפני מספר דקות הוזנק מרתון האופניים הג'ירו דה איטליה בירושלים. ראש הממשלה בירך את המשתתפים. בעקבות המרוץ, כבישים רבים ברחבי הארץ חסומים היום ומחר. עם מפת החסימות, עורך התנועה הראשי של גלגלצ, בני כבודי. בירושלים חסומים לתנועה עד לשעות הצהריים הרחובות שלמה המלך, המלך ג'ורג' בצלאל, רמב"ן, דרך בית לחם, שדרות רבים ורבים נוספים. מחר, ביום השני למרוץ, יחסמו לתנועה בשעה 12 בצהריים בחיפה הרחובות שדרות ההגנה, דרך העצמאות, שדרות הפליים, חטיבת גולני ושדרות ההסתדרות. המסלול, כביש חיפה עכו מהצ'ק פרוסט לצומת עכו מזרח, כביש 85 מעכו מזרח לאחיוד, כביש 70 מאחיוד דרך יגור עד לצומת שפיה, כביש 4 מפורדיס עד נחל חדרה, וכביש החוף ממחלף קיסריה עד מחלף גלילות. עד כאן מגלגלצ. בהצלחה למשתתפים וגם לנהגים בפקקים. 
מזג האוויר שרבים, מחר תחול ירידה בטמפרטורות ואף ייתכן גשם. רשות המים מבקשת להביא לידיעת הציבור כי יש צפי לשיטפונות משמעותיים בשבוע הבא בנחלי מדבר יהודה, בנגב ובערבה. אלה החדשות שעורכת תמר פלד, בצוות איתיאל דינר ויאיר בסט. Bye. 
In the AM. Mordechai Shapiro with Kulam. Amram Adar before that with Yehudi Ma'amin here at JM in the AM. And uh, we opened up the hour. Where's my list? Where's my list of how we opened up the hour? <laughs> Can't remember a thing anymore. Uh, opened up the hour with uh, Uri Davidi Halavai is the name of that selection here. At JMM. Feel free to comment on the um, NSN app, the Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone. Cool dude says thanks, ZK. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. We get big, big thank you going out to ZK this morning. Um, Jeff Francis is still driving to Atlanta Jewish Academy in the Atlanta in, in Atlanta, listening to JMN. Can't do anything about Atlanta traffic, but at least it's Labadic. Good Shabbos. Thank you, Jeff. Commented on the app. By the way, a mazel tov going out to Rami Rosazada and to Lori and Joe and the whole family. The big bar mitzvah Shabbos is this Shabbos, but last night, the beautiful Achnasa Sefer Torah in West Orange, New Jersey, in honor of the bar mitzvah. A pleasure and honor to be part of it, frankly. And a mazel tov to Lori and to uh, Joe from all of us here at uh, JM in the AM. Um... Uh, today's show is being dedicated to the memory of Malka Bas Michel, Marlene Feldman. I mentioned earlier that Milt Feldman had uh, donated to the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting in memory of his uh, dear wife. We remember Marlene this morning here at JM and the AM, and we'll dedicate her by Uden's words later on to her memory. 17 minutes after 7 o'clock, Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations, joins us for a weekly update at about 7.40 Eastern Time. Get ready. There's a lot to talk about today. There are a lot of very anxious people who want to hear what Malcolm has to say regarding the uh, revelation earlier in the week 
by Prime Minister Netanyahu regarding Iran. So um, we'll have that for you coming up about 7.40 this morning right here at JM in the AM. Oh, uh-huh. 
J.M. in the A.M. Shlomo Katz. Pretty amazing selection from Shlomo Katz, huh? Called Yismachu off of the Vahakonim album. J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Want to give a special shout-out and Mazel Tov wish to Randy Miriam Smolin. Down in uh, Charlotte. Her big bat mitzvah celebration is taking place this Shabbos. Parshas MR at the Charlotte Torah Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. And believe you me, the Siegel... Oh, sorry about that. Believe you me, the Siegel family wishes they could be there. Uh, it's all happening tomorrow morning. The uh, bat mitzvah celebration to Anne and Craig and the entire family. And of course to Randy Miriam. Ruchel Miriam, we say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM and the AM. They enjoyed a uh, wonderful barbecue yesterday in honor of the Bat Mitzvah, and uh, they're going to be enjoying the uh, hospitality of the Oppenheim family tonight and the Shul tomorrow. And again, we wish we could be down there. So to everybody in Charlotte, and especially to Randy Miriam. <laughs> hey, Randy, Mazal Tov to you from all of us here at JM and the AM, and special regards from all the Siegel ladies who are uh, who are very sorry they can't be there for the big celebration. Friday morning broadcast, JM and the AM on this day number 34 in the counting of the Omer. Erev Shabbos Parsha's MR outside of Israel with candle lighting in New York at 735. More coming up, including Malcolm Holmline. This comes from Benny Friedman at JM and the AM.
שכולכם מג'נונים.
Jam in the AM with Mordechai Ben David as we play some of the songs we didn't get to yesterday on Lagbo Omer. That's Amar Rabbi Akiva from the Kula Mahuvim album. Ma before that. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, day 34 in the counting of the Omer. Four weeks and six days. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Candle lighting in New York, 735, 70 degrees. Isolated thunderstorms and a high temperature of 84. Mentioned Rami Rosazada, Mazel Tov to him and to the entire family, Lori and Joe, as they get set for the big Shabbos, the big Bar Mitzvah Shabbos. It was uh, amazing being there last night for the Hachnasa Sefer Torah in honor of the Bar Mitzvah. Mazel Tov. Uh, friends of the Jerusalem College of Technology, we get together Sunday night uh, with Mayim Bialik as the keynote speaker, 6 p.m. Lincoln Square Synagogue in New York. They are at record-breaking numbers for this dinner, I am proud to say. There's a lot of excitement about Israel and technology. They could not have had this dinner at a better time, frankly. Uh, so we look forward to seeing you. If you haven't gotten your reservations in yet, friendsofjctgala.org, friendsofjctgala.org. Mazal Tov going out to Yoni Fishbaum and to Matt and Shani and everybody at the new Springville Jewish Center. Big bar mitzvah taking place this Shabbos. Uh, we say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM and the AM to the entire Fishbaum family. Matt, Shani, and bar mitzvah boy Yoni. Mazal Tov from all of us here at 
JM in the AM. Uh, this coming Sunday night is the 99th annual dinner for Yeshiva and Masifta Taravadas with a tribute to the class of 1993 and a tribute to the class of 1968. It's happening at the Palace this coming Sunday night. Reservations, etc. Not too late. 718-941-8000. 718-941-8000. Manhattan Day School getting ready for the big annual dinner to 75th, believe it or not. Wow. This coming Sunday night, they're honoring Ayala Horowitz uh, and Rabbi Abba Ganak. Special Mazel Tov to Rabbi Ganak. And a special tribute to past presidents as well this coming Sunday at the school starting at 5 p.m. Information at 212-376-6800. An urgent blood drive in memory of Arnold Jablon takes place at Kahal Zichron Mordechai. Rabbi Sherishul on Nostrand Avenue in Brooklyn this coming Sunday for men and women between 9.15 in the morning and 5 p.m. They're going to serve lunch and dinner there. Urgent blood drive, Brooklyn, New York, in memory of Arnold Jablon. If you're able to make it, please do. This coming Sunday, Mazel Tov on last night's big simcha to the Feinstein and Fendel families. Leah Fendel and Moshe Feinstein married last night down in Lakewood. Big Mazel Tov to Rabbi Mrs. Mordechai. Feinstein here on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And a reminder, this coming uh, Monday, the Nachum Siegel Network and American Friends of Bar-Ilan University present Malcolm Honeline with a live broadcast from Israel. We'll go on here at the Nachum Siegel Network at 11.30 in the morning. We'll have everybody on until 2 o'clock. In addition to Mr. Honeline, the broadcast will feature an assortment of, of star professors and researchers from Bar-Ilan. Uh, it's all live from Israel, part of our amazing Monday coming up this Monday here at the Nachum Siegel Network. So make sure to be tuned in. Also, don't forget, Wednesday, we're at Wesley Kosher. With a big thank you to our friends at One Tabletop, Lilac and Cream, and Norman's Dairy. We are at Wesley Kosher up in Rockland County, 11 a.m. Our broadcast starts this coming Wednesday. I hope you'll join us. Um, should be a lot of fun and very interesting up in Rockland County. By the way, our good friend Harry Rothenberg has a, uh, a vlog right? Video blog available every Shabbos, 1 PM through us. All you have to do is listen to our Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix. And at one o'clock on Friday, we have the audio of Harry Rothenberg's vlog regarding the Parsha of the week. So that's a recent addition for us. And I certainly hope you'll check it out. Malcolm Holmline coming up plenty more at JM in the AM. He was a 40-year-old man, Akiva was his name. No scholar, he no saint, a shepherd by his trade. But one day he went down to the riverside. He saw crevice stones from the water's tide. And he felt the strength he had inside. He knew then that it's not too late to reach the sky. (laughs) 
So he left his wife and went to study by the wise, and they watched his knowledge grow and the brilliance in his eyes. For twelve long years he learned the law, and his mind grew strong, his spirit soared. When he came home, as he stood by the door. He heard his wife say, I'd gladly give a dozen more. From far and wide they came to him, the people of his nation, for he had become the leader of his generation. But the Romans came with an iron hand, and the study of Torah it was banned. Yet of his people he did demand, "Don't leave the waters of your faith; you'll be like a fish on land." So they tortured him with combs of steel, payment for his crime. But through his pain, he taught us all a legend for all time. With his students by his side, his eyes were closed, his head held high. Without a sound, without a cry, Hashem Echad. On his lips, that's how he died. JM in the AM, another one of those selections that we did not get into our Lagba Omer show, but an amazing song from Journeys called Rebbe Akiva here at JM in the AM. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, day 34 in the counting of the Omer on this Erev Shabbos Parsha's MR. Big thank you to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. We always recommend you could uh, print out thousands of articles about Israel and the Jewish world. If you go to JewishWorldReview.com at some point today before Shabbos and read them all on Shabbos. Hey, it's a long Shabbos, right? Uh, big thank you to our friends at OnlySimchas.com who continue to utilize our content as part of their amazing news feed with great news from around the Jewish world. Not only Simcha News, which is wonderful, uh, but other news stories of great interest. Uh, from around the world, including some of the things that happen here in this unique and interesting studio and project. Uh, so a big thank you, OnlySimplas.com. Check them out on a daily basis. I want to remind everybody that our broadcast today is dedicated to memory of Marlene Feldman. Uh, and that is um, Malka Bas Michel, whose yard site is this coming week. And I thank uh, Milt Feldman, one of our longtime supporters and and friends, for his generous donation to our fjbunity.com campaign. A lot of interesting things going on over the next couple of days here at the Nahum Siegel Network. I mention again that NSN and the American Friends of Bar Ilan University present our live broadcast starting at 11.30 a.m. this coming Monday. We have an amazing Monday lineup in general. Now you could add this for this coming Monday, May the 7th. Malcolm Honline, the, the 2018 Honorary Doctoral Recipient at Bar Ilan will be delivering a lecture to launch the new Impact Center for the Study of Judaism in Israel and North America. The broadcast here will feature an assortment of star professors and researchers who will join me from Bar Ilan University. 
You could hear all of it just by tuning into us here at the Nahum Siegel Network. You'll hear all of it, including Malcolm Holmline's lecture that he'll be giving uh, Monday night in Israel. Information? Nothing to do. Go to NahumSiegel.com or tune into the NSN app. The aforementioned Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. It's great to be the aforementioned. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it's a wonderful thing at Spirelon. And I was thrilled to see that uh, you're going to be doing a lot broadcast. I hope it'll be interesting going to be a different format than usual with a, a, a dialogue between me and the new head of the center or the head, set, head of the new center. Oh, interesting. But first I have to give a shout out to Ephraim online of Baltimore, my grandson whose bar mitzvah will be celebrated this Shabbos. Hmm. So you've made a commitment to be in Baltimore this Shabbos. That is true. Just like you were in Great Neck last Shabbos. I hope that went well. That went amazingly well, and a lot of JM and AM fans were there, and wonderful people, wonderful turnout. Uh, and then next Shabbos, uh, it will be in Riverdale. So, now what Now what happens tonight and tomorrow? Does anybody approach you and say, Mr. Holmline, we know you're here for your grandson's bar mitzvah, but since you're already here, would you mind addressing this crowd or that crowd for a few minutes? Is that bound to happen at some point tonight? They try. <laughs> but you refuse. <laughs> Rightfully well, so, you refuse. With, I have to speak with Bar Mitzvah. <laughs> it's an exclusive engagement. <laughs> Understood. Well, you know what everybody wants to hear about, and uh, we are anx- very anxious to hear your analysis and opinion. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu makes this uh, um, uh, amazing revelation to the world on Monday. Uh, many of us have seen the reaction of the uh, president of the United States. He had an immediate reaction, uh, you know, within an hour of Mr. Netanyahu's presentation. Um, I'm not quite sure exactly where to begin with this, but but let let's try it this way. Many uh, media sources are claiming that Bibi Netanyahu told us nothing new on Monday. What do you say about that? Well, it's uh, remarkable that those media sources seem to have penetrated the Iranian vaults as well and had the information before the Mossad agents were able to get it out. So obviously there are clearly very well-trained operatives because the information that the prime minister was able to share is only a small part of what they have actually uh, they were able to take out the 100,000 or 55,000 pages of, of documents and the 55,000 files uh, contain detailed information, which for security and other reasons can't be released and should not be released. What he did just to start was to put the lie to the assurance that the Iranians gave to President Obama, to Secretary Kerry, to the Europeans, to everyone else. We will never acquire, build, buy, or otherwise secure nuclear weapons, that they, we don't have a nuclear weapons program, that Fordo was for civilian purposes. All these things we now know are not true. Now, did we assume that they were lying? Yes. But the, the, it wasn't the basis of, of an agreement that allowed them now not only to get $150 billion in cash, to sign all sorts of deals, and at the same time to move ahead 
on the development of their missiles, the range, the capacity, the payloads, the their terrorism, their violations of human rights, their aggressions against other countries in the region, and the uh, and the nuclear program with more advanced uh, centrifuges, other things which will all have implications for the breakout, which is now only uh, seven years away. Yeah, understood, and that's not a long time. But here, here's the. I mean, let me give you a couple of examples, uh, and, and maybe I should have said it differently than you know he didn't reveal anything. Uh, new to the world. Uh, there's a news report that says as follows. Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu's dramatic presentation with his claim that tens of thousands of files proved there was an effort to build and test weapons didn't contain any big surprises for the U.S. intelligence community, according to two United States intelligence officials uh, who told this to NBC News. Okay, so they, they considered it no surprises. The New York Times in its objective reporting on the story the next day, or almost immediately, I should say, because it was online, Mr. Netanyahu did not provide any evidence that Iran had violated the nuclear agreement since it took effect in early 2016. Now, that one, the first one I get, and I think everyone listening gets, that you know that's a little bit far-fetched. This one, we need a better answer for, because it, 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 it is correct that he didn't provide any evidence of any activity since the agreement was signed, is that accurate? Well, we don't know. Because it's, I don't know how does anybody know when we haven't seen it, and they've shared this information. Wouldn't he have mentioned that? With the CIA, well, his implication was it said Iran lied, that Iran, that Fordo was an ongoing facility, that, because we saw now that it was reopened this week, that the parking lot was full of cars, that people were coming in and out of the facility, which was to be shut down and have been put out of use. So in every uh, part of this deal, we know that they were not telling the truth. We know that they were enriching to higher levels, and we thought we know that it was a more sophisticated program. What we don't know is that the vast majority of the material could not be shared publicly, could not be made, uh, the, the technical issues and the, the, the detailed uh, discoveries could not be made public. At you know, time. you know, it's funny because it seemed to us, the average person, that he really did go into a lot of detail. It's funny. Yeah, but he went. He did. He went on uh, into some description on a very general level. Mm-hmm. He did not go into to it, and probably would have lost the audience if he had started <laughs> going into the great detail of of what uh, nuclear program and what information. But the the um, this is material that they were trying to hide. So the violation, first of all, is that none of this was reported to the IEA. How come they didn't have access to this facility? How come they didn't even know about this facility? So it tells you a little bit about the effectiveness of the IEA, International Atomic Energy Agency, and the aggressiveness or lack thereof of their inspections regime. And the, the fact that you had this stuff being moved from place to place in order to make sure it did not fall into any hands or uh, other hands and that they, they sustain it. Why didn't they just destroy it if they, and they have no nuclear program? Because they need this information for the future development of the program. So, the, the, you know, you can say that nothing new was, um, was revealed if they were looking, you know, for some sort of a magic button that uh, unleashed a series of nuclear missiles. Right. But we know that they have. We know that the, the, it's public about what they've done on the missiles, which is not a violation of the JCPOA. The fact that they had a facilities that, that we know that they were 
on the track and constantly working on a nuclear weapon puts the lie to what they said as the basis of this deal. And we know that that part continued after the deal was signed, or we don't know for sure? No, this is, I don't have dating on it right. as to whether this is uh, from before or after. See, that's what the media is harping on. I understand. On. I right. know, but, it, but it's, it's not irrelevant I mean, oh, I get that. And, right, I get that. But, 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 they're, but, but they're making uh, it relevant. That's the problem. They're making it relevant. Right. They're, 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 they're saying that, you know, hey, this was all before the deal was signed. And I would think that once the deal is signed, the International Atomic Energy Agency should have access to everything. Any, any document of the last 20, 30 years they should have access to, right? If they, if they wanted to. They should theoretically be, right. be, have been given everything that they wanted. Or at least access to it. And and being told of all the facilities and all the places where they have relevant material. Um, do you have any clue how many uh, identical or near identical facilities there are to the one that Netanyahu described? Are, are they all over the place? Are the they storage vaults? Yeah. Well, they obviously have to have some because they were, they move this material from right. between several uh, locations. But again, we don't know how much more exists. The the uh, fact that they were tracking this for some time, for maybe more than a year, and then the opportunity presented itself, I guess, to uh, on the, when they had word of, of uh, the location and the vaults in which they were being, where the vaults were in which this was being stored. All right. Um, that th- is the really big story. I right. mean, is the, right. the uh, tremendous uh, intelligence coup that this represents, and it right. certainly sends a message to Iranian leaders that you had to have a pretty good infrastructure for this to, to, to have happened. And, uh, I mean, I think they got to wake up, or when they go to sleep at night, they keep one eye open. A lot of arrests made uh, after the revelation? A lot of arrests in Iran? Not yet. No? Not that we know of. Oh, I thought I had read that uh, they had clamped down on a... They had come down well, on a they few... they clamped down all the time. I mean, that, that is going on. The, the, the internal disruptions... And uh, the, the demonstrations continue, even though people don't really report them. Right. Uh, the media doesn't report them, but they are ongoing. All right, here's where the armchair generals come in, and you know I'm king of that department. Of course. Um, and, you know, we, we know, we have precedents of how, uh, of how um, uh, Israeli prime ministers have, have dealt with situations in the past. Not really comparable, I get that, but, but still we know what Begin did with Iraq, we know what Olmert and others have done with Syria. I mean, wouldn't it have been, I don't know, easier, delivered a better statement or a, a, a more potent message to Iran if Israel would have done this militarily, if they knew where all this storage facility was or other types of facilities, meaning weapons themselves, wouldn't it have been, wouldn't it have been uh, I don't know, better or, uh, or, or more of an international message from Israel if they would have gone and destroyed it? Or does this tell us that just like we've always conjectured that Iran is much different in terms of trying to infiltrate there militarily or by air than Iraq and Syria. This, again, proves that, that this is a better option than that is. Well, proves that they're vulnerable. And second of all, that there was no point in, in destroying the facility. You want to get your agents out. You don't blow up buildings. And, you know, they, they found out about it before the agents, the Israeli agents, actually left the country. And they were hot on their trail. Uh before they got it, they smuggled it out of the country. So the, the, the there was no uh, upside, I think, in trying to destroy that kind of a facility, as opposed to the nuclear facilities, which are very heavily guarded, 
and you know many of them underground. They're they're probably considered impenetrable. Although we now know that everything is penetrable. Can you guess for us how this operation was carried out? Can you guess for us how many people may have been involved and how they in fact did get all this material out? That was a that was a lot of material that he revealed on Monday. And knowing that it's only a small percentage right. of what of what the, the the real story and all the information, but you have a, information but you have, they have, so but you have a clue, or can you conjecture how they actually got it out? I mean, for those of us you know who can't get nail clippers on planes, we wonder how do you get a CD library or those types of notebooks out of a, an enemy country? Well, they had to smuggle it into another country nearby, so you can look at the map and figure it out. Right, and uh, from there it was flown to Israel. Unbelievable. And those agents, we assume, are no longer in Iran, or we shouldn't make that assumption? Those agents are probably probably came out together with the material. That doesn't mean that there aren't other agents, because this, this takes a lot of preparation. This takes a lot of, of scouting, of constant monitoring, and that's not the work of one or two people. All right. You know, I'll tell you something. During this week, the art side of Ellie Cohen, if you don't know who it is, folks, Google him after the show. Uh, we have to remember there are a lot of people, you know, putting their lives at risk for the security of the Jewish people. That's right, and the and you know when we when a soldier dies, we know it. Some people should visit the memorial to right. the uh, fallen security people, and if you go into the buildings of the Mossad or the Shin Bet, and you see the display, I was there on um, Yom Hazikaron, and you see the number of men and women who gave their lives. In carrying out critical missions, many of which were uh, directly related to the security of Israel and the well-being of the people of Israel, and had they not taken place, history might have taken a different course. Unbelievable. Malcolm Holmline is with us. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world in the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course... On the beloved NSN app, reminder, Malcolm will be spending Monday with us as well because his live, uh, the live broadcast on Monday at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time will feature his lecture in Israel, Bar-Ilan University. He'll be receiving a 2018 honorary doctoral, and he will be uh, speaking about the new Impact Center for the Study of Judaism in Israel and North America, and will give us an opportunity to speak with a bunch of people from Bar-Ilan in the middle part of Monday. Make sure to tune in, and obviously Monday morning we'll give you more details about that event. All right. So now the second big question: um, Will this influence the president of the United States? We know that uh, Bibi Netanyahu spoke in English. Unusual. Uh, in fact, many commentators in Israel found it to be. I wouldn't say. I shouldn't use the word disturbing or insulting, but it sounded like they were heading in that direction that he would deliver a a, a speech like that and not deliver it first in Hebrew. Uh, but obviously, this was uh, intended to be heard by English speakers who would uh, fully understand it. And most are conjecturing that the the one person he was concerned about was President Trump. Will all of this sway the president to change his mind regarding the Iran deal on May the 12th? It could well, and it could give justification for a decision that he is he has already made or is looking to make. The um, the president is facing a very serious decision, as we know there different people who weigh in. The indications, I would say, right now are that he will do, he will uh, pull out of the JCPOA. Wow. And we have to think of the ramifications. You know, people, I know, automatically say, 
well, of course, we've got to pull out now in light of this information, but even more broadly, that the deal was a bad deal. And if the Iranians are saying that they refuse to do anything to renegotiate, to make concessions, especially about the sunset clause, because it's seven years is nothing. Uh, and in the meantime, they have developed their centrifuge and other things, which means that their breakout would be very fast and they would er- enrich it to uh, weapons grade very, uh, very quickly as well. So the president uh, has to think about various uh, aspects, the economic implications, the relationship with our European allies and others who signed the, the, the deal, right. what it means in the region, would Iran retaliate in some way? I think that there's a lot of bluff on the part of of the Iranians, and right now they do not want an all-out war. They have not yet retaliated as people had anticipated. It doesn't mean it won't come, and I'm not challenging them to do it. But I think the, the um, uh, you know, companies, when having to face a choice of doing business with the American banking system or Iran, the choice will be easy. Iran uh, um, oil exports have already started to fall in anticipation of the of the uh, president's announcement, and the it dropped by about a half a billion uh, half a million barrels a day, five hundred thousand barrels a day. The, the, the their exports more than doubled after the deal was signed, the JCPOA was signed, and now they're facing uh, real economic pressures inside anyway. The, the economic collapse, the, the the real their currency uh, has fallen precipitously. Unemployment is high, so it's not without implications that if the United States says we're going to put sanctions on, we're going to go after European companies and others, uh, they have been adding sanctions along. But if they now, um, it, it, is, it is not just a free ride for Iran, that, uh, it's not a, and it's not just a, a paper deal. These, it has massive implications, and it's not an easy decision. I don't. I don't take lightly the president's uh, decision, uh, and I think it's why they're thinking it through, and they're talking to the, to the Germans, French, and British. The Germans are just totally uh, out of this, uh, wanting to sign, and uh, I'm very surprised at Merkel's uh, behavior. Uh, Macron tried to convince him to stay in and to fight for changes, and the British and French have come up with proposals. Uh, the Iranians say will not accept any uh, any additional changes or uh, requirements. That is not true. I think that under a unified approach and real pressure and facing the reality of, of uh, what will happen if, if they don't go along with it, I think that they would. I think mm-hmm. they would accept some uh, changes and that the three powers together can, in any event, um, implement and add sanctions and other requirements. It is, it is um, obviously fraught with uh, all sorts of implications for what happens in Syria. It could be for what happens in the region. They could strike out in many different ways. Uh, Jordan is very vulnerable. Obviously, Israel, they, they sent the drone into Israel. They have done other things after the um, discovery of, this, uh, of, of Israel's raid. And yet, they're very limited they do not want to see Hezbollah wiped out. And, you know, in Lebanon, Hezbollah's support is diminished. Uh, they have 80,000 militia who they will gladly sacrifice in Syria to to fight Israel. But their options are also limited. And so far, Russia has made clear that they don't care how many Iranians die, as long as no Russians do, uh, and ha- has not really interfered.
interfered in uh, Israel's retaliatory strikes or other things. So we, we have to look at the totality of the picture when we try to assess, or if you put yourself in that position and say, what 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 is, happens to our credibility? Will this impact the North Korea negotiations? Because remember, North Korea and Iran are very close. Right. Will our word be be then and our commitment to to an agreement if we pull out then become suspect and people will be reluctant to other countries to sign deals with us but remember the saudis the uae all of them are watching the united states to see if we will be tough they all said that the jcpoa was a bad deal at the time they didn't want us to do it but we're under the impression that pulling out does show that they were tough it does but i'm just saying that the you got to think about the broader picture how all the ramifications that could come from it. I think that there's growing support to pull out. I don't know whether, let's say, a majority in Congress, where, where they would fall down on this because they, um, uh, you know, they're worried about what the ramifications could be. But on the other hand, I think many of them, they're all sick and tired of Iran. They all know that they've been lying. They all know now for sure that the nuclear program was a reality and the evidence is irrefutable, even if it, predates the deal. The evidence is there. It means that they had a nuclear program. It was in place. It has not disappeared. And they, they can go back to it immediately. And the JCPOA is not a sufficient protection as it is written now. By the way, if they do pull out of the JCPOA, uh, do we get any cash back or, or that money's lost forever? Oh, that money's long spent. <laughs> long spent. Hezbollah, terrorist operations, the, their activities in South America. You can trace you know, how uh, the, the expansionist activities of, of Iran in the region in, and way beyond the region in Africa. Uh, they have set up uh, schools uh, under Khomeini's name in 17 countries. They're training thousands and thousands of what they call seminarians. These are African uh, youth who, who are being recruited. They set up a recruitment center now near Damascus, about five miles away from Damascus, where they're recruiting young uh, Shiites and others in, in Syria to join their militias and, and to their uh, groups they have obviously develop weapons and have been providing these cargo planes have been flying into Syria on a regular basis, and U.S. security has expressed concern. Israel's obviously expressed concern and maybe even took care of that some of the deliveries didn't reach the uh, intended uh, recipient, which is Hezbollah, and, and more and more sophisticated weapons, both for their own use and for Hezbollah's use, and that's why Israel strike last week was so important, so much so that it registered on the Richter scale because they hit an underground facility where perhaps 200 missiles were being stored. Hmm. By the way, I'm sorry for using you as a fact checker, but but who better, frankly? The Times, when it, uh, when it first reported on Monday's um, you know, reaction of the president to Netanyahu's presentation, so they write the following. Um, in se- this is what Trump said, in seven- the president. In seven years, that deal will have expired, and Iran will be free to make nuclear weapons. They claim Mr. Trump said this incorrectly stating the terms of the deal, while some restrictions on Iran are relaxed starting in about seven years. Iran cannot make nuclear fuel until 2030, and it is never permitted to make nuclear weapons, as signed the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, which bans it from weapons production. Is that accurate? That is accurate, that they signed the NPT, but they, they're talking about pulling out of the NPT as well, the Non-Proliferation Treaty. And what the president said was uh, uh, was correct. And 
they know, you know, to say that because Iran signed a deal means they're going to adhere to it when we know that they have not adhered to anything that they signed in any of the deals, nor their words, uh, their commitments as members of the United Nations, and, and they are supposedly under restrictions in the Security Council on ballistic missile development, on, the, on the, their aggressiveness and the support for terrorism. So the track record is clear. So, uh, you know, for people to say, you know, it's like Willie Sutton saying that, that he's not robbing a bank. <laughs> right. Well, we know that, that that's what he does. That's him. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to the other big issue. Uh, and I'm glad someone pointed out to me. I thought it was an op-ed piece, but then someone uh, uh, pointed out to me. It was actually an editorial. The New York Times is calling for the resignation of uh, Mahmoud Abbas. It did. It's a remarkable uh, development because they said that they think that they hope his vile comments, which uh, for those who don't know, he did say, that essentially the Holocaust was a fault of the of the Jews, right. and saying because of their banking practices. And if you go, the more detail you know about what he said, the more vile it is. And uh, I mean, it's not only Holocaust denial; it's Holocaust glorification and it's exoneration of the Nazis and saying that the onus falls on the Jews because of their social behavior and other things. Um, today he issued some sort of uh, nandy-pandy, wimpy statement saying, well, if anybody's offended, I'm really sorry. Right. But we have to remember that he wrote his Ph.D. thesis on Holocaust denial. I mean, it was a Holocaust denial thesis. Uh, he has often tended to, towards statements and, and things that were, in the, and especially his last rambling speech like this one, at the Palestinian National Council also incorporated anti-Semitic comments. The, he was re-elected at the meeting this week. As, as you know, he refuses to face the electorate, so he gets elected by the National Council, which is the highest body of the PLO, and he just continues in his sham uh, position and not having ever been responsive, uh, at least he's in the, what, 13th year of a four-year term, huh. and, uh, and gets away with it. Now he went too far, so people say, well, he's 83, and he's, if this is what you believe, I don't care what your age is, it's going to come out, and it comes out and says this is what this guy's really about. And the warnings and the statements about him being a Holocaust denier, et cetera, just are reinforced and, and reiterated once again. So, and, and it can't be dismissed. People should not put these things on the side when uh, the leader of who's supposed to be a negotiating partner so that rules it out, and, and the fact that the New York Times came to this conclusion. Yeah, boy. And, you know, the New York Times had actually some good coverage one day of the last, last Shabbos, I think, of Gaza, explaining what the people there, the terrorists, were doing, throwing Molotov cocktails with guns, flashing guns, um, you know, the, the kites with the firebombs on them, um, IEDs, other explosive devices, and really gave a, a much more accurate account, unfortunately, than some of the other newspapers. Wow. Well, even a broken clock is right twice a day. That's exactly. Um, but then he revert for true to form later on. Tell me about this. Uh, you know, we always talk about the creativity and ingenuity of the enemy. Tell me about these fire kites. These, these are very dangerous. And, you know, and usually Fridays we ask you in general if there's any reports of action on the Gaza border, but this was uh, this was dominating the news of Gaza uh, this week. I mean, the, these these devices, uh, if you'd call it that, these makeshift uh, fire kites have the potential to cause tremendous damage. They set fields on fire. They set fire to a factory building, destroyed it actually, uh, because these are uh, you can send over many, and the 
they carry essentially Molotov cocktail type devices. You can have a bottle with gas, but it's a flame, and when it hits, it just sets on fire whatever it touches or wherever it lands. So Israel obviously can take these down. There, there are methods and ways that uh, Israel can remove them. They can use drones. They can try to anticipate it. But you know, when you're fighting on so many fronts, and you you have to watch people who try to penetrate. Yesterday, yesterday late. There was a guy well-armed who was trying to penetrate the, the border, and they are able to detect if somebody is armed, and they eliminated the threat. But you've had numerous attempts. They have what they call a brigade, uh, the wire cutters brigade, where people go and who, who are trained just to cut through the fence and to uh, enable people to get through and to carry out whatever nefarious activities they have in mind. Uh, the, the crowds have diminished, and you see the condemnation about the human shields at the United Nations and uh, elsewhere. So that the, you know, most of the Europeans, you know, are quiet about it. Uh, can imagine if if anybody else used children and sent them to the front ground to to die or to be hurt because they know Israelis will be very reluctant to shoot a child. But in the meantime, of those who have been hit, more than eighty percent are Hamas members or Hamas terrorists. And they are continuing to incite. They send buses around to recruit people and bring, pick them up to bring them to the to the fence in the area. And I think we can anticipate this week with the coming dedication of the Israeli embassy and the, the um, celebration uh, of the anniversary. And they call it Nakba Day, the day of um, the tragedy. Uh, that the, and the fact that you'll have American officials and others coming there, we can anticipate that they will expand their activities. By the way, on the are you planning on just staying there already at this point? Once you get to Israel this weekend, or you're not sure yet. And no, I have to be back the next day to give a speech at a dinner <laughs> where my some of my children are being honored, the Dworkins and uh, and at Ferris Israel. So I have to. I'm coming right back from the ceremony, and um, I will be participating in an event at the Israeli Embassy in Washington where they're honoring. 70 for 70, and I'm one of the people who receive, who's a recipient. So I thought maybe that that would be a better place to be. Very nice. That's the one where they're um, uh, honoring the memory of Zev Wolfson, among other people? Yeah, he's one of those, yes. Very cool. Most of the recipients, I think, are, no, are not necessarily with us anymore, but right. uh, it's a very nice gesture to, and, to people. And back to Gaza for a second, you know, not 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 to alarm anybody and or start rumors. Although, you know, there are people, you know, for those of us who are in contact with people in Israel, especially those with kids in the army, etc. That there is a growing concern, and we've seen when things, unlike the north, where I don't think you could say this definitively, when things heat up on the Gaza border, eventually it seems there's no choice but to actually go in with some type of ground presence. I mean, would you say that's more likely now than a couple of weeks ago, or you wouldn't say that yet? No, I wouldn't say that yet. That that there's a ground invasion. I think initially this is anything will be done by air, but I will tell you that the Israelis I speak to, officials, uh, military people, have been saying to um, people that uh, it's not a question of if, but when. Yep. They call it the war in the north. As you know, tanks have been moved up, that they are on a state, it's a constant state of uh, high alert. I know that areas have been, uh, uh, sky space has been closed to flights, uh, helicopters, other planes. So 
uh, I think that the the concern that and the anticipation that Iran will either act through one of its many proxy options, the the militia groups that it has there through Hezbollah, they can hit up things directly with Israel. Some think that Jordan is more vulnerable. Uh, they may launch missiles. There, there are many things that are open to them. They don't want to give Israel an excuse to be able to fire back. And there's an election coming up in Lebanon, and Hezbollah is not too popular right now anyway, so this could uh, escalate. You know, they don't want to escalate the tensions. So they're holding off, and I certainly think they want to hold off until after May 12th, after the deadline on JCPOA, because they don't want to prejudice maybe the Europeans or others uh, into um, rejecting the deal as well. And still no indication of the president will be in Israel on May the 14th, right? Still nobody knows. It has not been, no, it has not been determined yet. I think, I'm not sure that it's very likely at this point. But it, it was still it was under consideration still. And I got to sneak this in before we wrap up. Uh, how do you reconcile the following? In, um, in last week, Durham, North Carolina, became the first city in the United States to officially adopt BDS as policy, i.e., they will not allow their police to train with Israel's police force. While in South Carolina, they became the first U.S. state to pass legislation to fight anti-Semitism on campus. How do, you, how do you reconcile our neighbors to the South? What a difference a few miles can make. <laughs> but but first of all, the most of the officials have come out and, and rejected the BDS uh, campaign. I think that uh, it's li- not likely to be implemented, and as in many other campuses or cities or places where it's introduced, it fails. Uh, sometimes we don't, and not enough attention is paid to it locally or early, early enough. Uh, uh, again, the economic impact of BDS is not great. It, it, it is the political campaigns that are associated with it, the lies, the distortions uh, that uh, are associated with the, the campaign. And it tells us, again, that we have a big job to do in the United States to make the case for Israel. We should not take it for granted. We have an administration that is extremely uh, friendly. We see embassies, Guatemala, moving others. To, uh, the Paraguayans are now talking about it. Others are talking about it. Uh, the president of Guatemala will be there on the, the two days after the U.S. dedicates to, to dedicate their own uh, embassy. But at the same time, we see that a quarter billion dollars is being put into Jerusalem by the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Turkey. Wow. That they are investing in, in, in trying to determine the future of Jerusalem. And it's used by the WAC. They buy property. They they try to create facts uh, on the ground. Uh, there was another indication about it, about the situation with, with Iran, when Morocco broke diplomatic relations with them because they were supplying weapons to the Polisario through, uh, with, uh, through Hezbollah. And, of course, Iran denied it. But here you have proof it's an Arab country, a Muslim country, that has evidence that Iran has been working to undermine and to stoke violence in, in the region. We know that they're trying to do it in, in all over Africa and Asia and Latin America, we we have to look at the total picture to understand the nature of the danger that we face and why people can't just say, well, we should overlook this or this is not that significant or right. what the real ramifications uh, are of the, of the actions that's taking and the danger that we face. So Israel faces very um, uh, serious issues on the north and the south and the if violence breaks out, 
Israel would have to perhaps fight on at least two two fronts. Thank God the Egyptian front is quiet, and Jordan uh, most likely would be quiet, quiet unless they tried to do something to uh, undermine it. I don't think that a war is imminent right now. I do think that violence could escalate. I do think that you know Israel's alert is more than justified, and we have to sustain our efforts here to make sure that the uh, various security assistance bills, the three point three billion dollars plus the money for the missile defense, uh, are all uh, passed by Congress. I think there is broad support. I think the members of Congress took the report that Netanyahu released very seriously, and members have been invited to see it, and I think that that will help. But all of us have a role to play to assure Israel's security, and that is to make sure that our senators and others vote the right way and that this assistance is forthcoming. Unbelievable. So many things to think about. Uh, Monday, we'll have a chance to speak again when you're live from Bar Ilan, and I thank you for that. Have a mazal tov on the bar mitzvah, and have a, a wonderful Shabbos. Thank you. I'll give, uh, I'll give all the fans in Baltimore your regards. I hope you will. We have a great following down there. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Friday's weekly update here at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday. Oh, before we go to Rabbi Yudin, I'd like to mention again that uh, today uh, today's Rabbi Yudin segment on Parsha's MR is uh, dedicated uh, to the memory of Marlene Feldman. I want to thank Milt Feldman for uh, donating in her memory. Uh, her yard site is coming up this week. Malka Bas Michel, Malka Bas Michel, and we remember her fondly on this Friday morning Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday morning, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin, Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Emor. Parshas Emor, according to the Chinuch, contains 63 mitzvos, 24 positive, and 39 restrictions. Among the mitzvos found in Parshas Emor is the restriction that the irregular Kohen is not to come in contact with the dead, is not to be under the same roof as a dead body, to go to a uh, funeral, to certainly not part of a Hebra Kadisha, not to go to a cemetery. And interestingly, the Torah says, except for his immediate uh, seven relatives, the closest relatives, and we learn from who these relatives are, who the regular person sits Shiva for. Within Parshas Amor, we have the Parsha of the Moadim, the holidays. The Torah goes in order. In chapter 23, you have Shabbos, Pesach, Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur and Sukkos. And in this week's parsha of Emor, we have the mitzvah of Sfiras Omer. Yesterday was Lag Omer, and it's never too late to always absorb another important lesson 
from the Omer. Now, just understand that from the Torah, the period between Pesach and Shavuos is a happy time, says the Ramban. It's like a chol hamoed. These seven weeks are like seven days between the first days of Yom Tov and the last days of Yom Tov, between the Yom Tov of Pesach and the Yom Tov of Shavuos, because we are excited, anticipating the Torah. Just as we said on the night of the Pesach Seder, that in every generation a person is to feel as if they left Egypt, similarly we are to feel as if we received the Torah, and therefore there is that anxious excitement, expectation for our receiving the Torah. Now, what's interesting to note is that, and the only reason, interestingly, why it is for us a period of curtailment of some simcha for 33 days, we don't marry, take haircuts, is because of the students of Rabbi Akiva that passed away at this time. Now, what is an Omer? So, an Omer happens to be a measure, it's a dry measure, and it's not that much. The Torah tells us in Parshas Bishalach that when the mun came down, what happened was each individual collected an Omer's worth of mun, and that sustained them per day. That's why we know it came down one Omer per person per day, except on Shabbos that it did not come down the mun. Twice as much came down on Friday, and it's for that reason that we have two challah on Friday night, two challah Shabbos lunch, and preferably at Shalosh Sudos as well. Namely, reminding ourselves of the incredible miracle that Hashem performed for us with the deliverance of the mud. Now, the Omer, the dry measure, the amount that they collected, the Torah tells us that on the second day of Pesach, which is the season that the barley crop has come forth, the Jewish people are to bring an offering in the Beis HaMikdash of an Omer's worth of barley. Each Jew did not bring their own Korban Omer. There was one Korban Omer of and on behalf of the entire nation. So it's really most interesting that the Torah calls the Korban by the term Omer, which is that amount, and that the Torah says that we are to count from the day that the Omer is brought, hence our counting is called Sfiras HaOmer. The Torah uses 
in chapter 23, the term Omer, no less than four times. And we have to ask ourselves, asks the Be'er Yosef, why does this term Omer dominate this entire experience? And he suggests a very interesting answer. And that is that if you take note, as we mentioned a moment ago, Let's go back to the Mun in the desert. The Jewish people collected an Omer a day. Now, at a low estimate, we have every right to say that there were minimally two million Jews in the desert. Torah tells us there were 600,000 men between 20 and 60, at least the same number of women, older persons, younger persons, two million would be a very fair number. And so, with two million portions of mun being delivered daily, twice on Shabbos, you have 14 million a week, 56 million a month. Do the math. How many million per year, and if you're sitting down, over 26 billion portions of Mun, of Omer, of Mun, were delivered in the 40 years that the Jewish people were in the desert. We come into Eretz Yisrael, and Hashem says, I want you to bring annually on the second day of Pesach, an Omer's worth of barley. Not only to thank me and acknowledge the barley that has come forth, but as a strong reminder and offering of thanksgiving for that which Hashem has done for us, namely in the 40 years and notes the Be'er Yosef, such a powerful idea. He provides us with so much, 26 billion, and all he asks is so little in return that we give him one Omer annually on the second day of Pesach. I think that's a very interesting powerful marshava that we should associate with the Omer. Now, yesterday being Lagba Omer, I want to share with you a famous medrash which is found in Koheles Rabbah chapter 11 as well as at the end of Parshas Chayesara. The Pasuk says in Koheles, Baboker Zra Ezarecha, literally, in the morning, you are to seed, plant your seeds, Uli Erev, and in the evening, Altanach Yodecha, don't stop. In other words, a person is to be active all the time. And the Medrash is understood that a person should marry in his youth, Hopefully, it will endure forever. Should it not, they are encouraged 
to marry again later in life, if at all possible. Why? Because one should have children in his youth, and if necessary, again, later on in his elder years, one doesn't know from whom they're going to have the greater nachas. And Rabbi Akiva says, listen to me, I had 12,000 pairs of students, and they all died between Pesach and Atzeres and Shavuos. And why did they die? He says to his seven Talmidim that he gathered on Lagbomer and he said that the 24,000 died because they were Tzoru Enehem Tzoru Batora Zelozeh. They did not have the proper respect in Torah, one for another. Each one was looking out for themselves as opposed to being concerned about the welfare of the next one. And Rabbi Kiva was saying, look here, you are the next generation of leaders. You cannot possess this quality. You must have the quality of giving as opposed to the quality of only being concerned about yourself and your even your own personal religious uh, advancement. And so the important lesson of yesterday of Saras Ayin that unfortunately the students of Rabbi Kiva had, and we are to learn therefrom, I believe manifests itself unfortunately with all of us that we have to try to improve our reaching out and extending our parameters. When we daven, so it's so important to include others. Yes, unfortunately, who doesn't have what to daven for? But we must reach out and pray for the next one as well. Be concerned about their lack of a shidduch. Be concerned of their being out of a job. Be concerned about their need of a refuah shleima. And interestingly, but this is the side point, our rabbis teach us that if you pray for the next one, it's only going to help you. But don't do it so that it's your boomerang. Do it for the right reason. Do it because we don't want to be tsare ayin. And so it's true regarding the institution of chesed as well. The Chazon Ish, in his Emuna and Bitochon, says very powerfully that what might it be that a person will have sorry ayin in regard to chesed? What is the key when we look at chesed? Is the key that chesed is to be done? and that the person should get, the recipient of the chesed, should get the best form of chesed, or no, I want to be the one to do it. I want to be in the spotlight. I want to get the credit for it. And that's a very important, delicate point 
that each one should ask themselves, what is it in the form of my chesed? And how can I make the chesed that I'm involved with better? Is it me that I have to be at the center of the chesed? Or most important, that this chesed is to be done? And finally, the Torah taught us in Parshas Shmini when it listed the non-kosher birds, one of them that listed is the Chasidah. With such a beautiful name as the pious one, why would that be a non-kosher bird? And the rabbis teach us, because it only does kindness with its own. And we too have to learn to branch out and can't have sorry ayin only for our own, and that's why a shout-out to the Satmar Bikrocholim, that the entire Jewish community of the New York area are the beneficiaries of this wonderful organization and the beautiful Kiddush Hashem that it does. We need to learn from the students of Rabbi Akiva, our celebration yesterday of Lagba Omer, we can't make their mistake to be concerned only about our personal religious development. We have to be there for the next one as well. Shabbat Shalom to all.
J.M. and the A.M. Rafaini, that's uh, Avram Avram Fried, and uh, that was uh, a favorite, favorite song of Marlene Feldman, and we mentioned earlier that our broadcast this morning is uh, dedicated uh, to her memory, Miriam Bas Michel, and a, a special shout-out to uh, Milt Feldman for his donation to uh, J.M. and the A.M. and for uh, being such a great friend of this network. Quarter before 9 o'clock, J.M. A.M. Friday on this Erev Shabbos Parsha's MR. That's right outside of Israel. It's Parsha's MR. Candle lighting 735 here in New York. Plenty more coming up. We uh, have a couple of mazel tubs we got to get to, which we will. It's all happening if you keep it right here at J.M. in the A.M.
In the AM, that's Einod uh, Milvadom Michal Przanski. Friday morning air of Shabbos on the app on the NSN Nachum Single Network app for Android and iPhone. I discovered a uh, wonderful Mazel Tov wish. Um, Mazel Tov to Tamima first of Teaneck, New Jersey. Jacob Winston of Dallas, Texas. Their marriage is upcoming on Sunday. Mazel Tov to the first family. Uh, and to the uh, Winston family of Dallas, Texas, from all of us here at JMM, amazing. We know the first family for a long, long time. They have a big, big simcha coming up. Mazalta from all of us here at JMM. By the way, Chef Barret was in touch with us early this morning. Mazalta to Simcha Semanowitz and Hanna Bogoff of Chicago, Illinois. They are a recently engaged couple. Simcha Semanowitz, Mazal Tov, and to your wonderful parents as well, of course. And Chana Bogoff of Chicago, Mazal Tov to you and your parents from all of us here at JMM. So thank God uh, we are filled with uh, with great Simcha to report here at JMM. Someone requested the brand new uh, Yaakov Shweki selection. Oh, before we do that, let me just remind you that Naomi Nachman is coming up next. Uh, Dr. Ilana Stokman author of Masala Mama's Cookbook, and Baruch Green from Lilac and Cream Cheesecake. They are both going to be um, Naomi's uh, guests. Um, coming up on Table for Two, that's coming up next here after JM in the AM. Uh, 10 o'clock, Erev Shabbos Show with Mark Zamek, brought to you by our wonderful friends at Kedem. Right after that, the Erev Shabbos Music Mix. Brought to you by wonderful friends at Kedem. Avrami with Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night. Matas with JM Sunday on Sunday. And uh, don't forget Harry Rothenberg's Torah vlog. Uh, we have the audio of it 1 o'clock today. 1 o'clock today. That's what you're going to be listening to 1 o'clock today online as you uh, tune into our Erev Shabbos music mix uh, right here at the Nahum Seagull Network. Brand new Yaakov Shweki by request. Alle face gimmel, and moon and me talk and break. Alle face gimmel, and moon and me talk and break. Alle face gimmel, and moon and me talk and break. Alle face gimmel, and moon and me talk and break. Alle face gimmel, and moon and me talk and break. Alle face g
Brand new Jakob Schwecki Olive Bays. JM in the AM, time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM. It's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by. Become a memory. So throw away your hammer. There's nothing left. Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Man and his creator, it's a very special 
spiritual sign. Your candles will be burning. They'll fill your home with light. Singing songs of Shabbos. Well into the night. So throw away your hammer. There's nothing left to do. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners' sponsored digital radio, around the world on the web at NachumSegal.com, on the NachumSegal Network, and of course, anybody love it, NSN app. Want to remind everybody, if you want to support this amazing network and great radio station, it's the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting that you want to support. Go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, our May campaign. Is going to be underway very, very soon. I hope everybody out there will join us and help us keep on going. Um, we may have just secured an unbelievable guest for early next week. I cannot say anything more at the moment. If I do have confirmation over the weekend, I'll put it out on social media under my profile and under the Nahum Single Network profile. We may have just secured an unbelievable live guest in studio for next week. I will let you know. Looking forward to seeing everybody at the Jerusalem College of Technology dinner Sunday night at Lincoln Square Synagogue. Should be a lot of fun. Very interesting and amazing. And uh, Mazal Tov again to everybody celebrating Mazal Tovs this weekend, including Rami Rosazada. Looking forward to celebrating with Lori and Joe and the entire family. Have a fabulous Shabbos. Wonderful weekend. Till Monday, Nachum Segal reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.